0: Io ripenso a quello che è stato, è eh, come fosse un replay. De si da un cerfone, di cacciatore, la gioia di Cutrone, Bregnoli fa il gol Candrevano, Napoli è Scudetto, fuochi un po' troppo presto, Calabria e lo scavetto Abate fa il gol con Trevano E ritendo e scherzando poi Io lo so giochi a tutti noi Mancherà questa Serie A Da chi ritornerà
1: Pandev, Porta palla, Pandev arriva al limite dell'area Cerca il pallonetto E chiude il match God of Pandev,
0: con un gol pazzesco Bellissimo
2: And the lovely notes of Giuseppe Verdi mean it's time for another edition of Serie A Sit Down. And this one is our end of the season podcast, Uh, season review of the game played on the Peninsula, World Football Index's podcast uh on Calcio at the highest level uh Frank Crivello here glad to be back and glad to be uh, with you uh co-host Richard Carmen
1: joining me as always ciao Richard ciao Frank what a hectic way to end the Serie A season huh
2: yeah yeah how about that uh you you think uh uh that that Sassuolo Roma game was a hectic way to end the season then uh (laughs) then then you're very easily impressed, I guess. So, uh, oh, 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 the other game. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Okay. The
1: headliner.
2: <laughs> okay, yeah, the headliner. Absolutely. And uh, we're going to have a few things to say about, uh, about that game. Uh, it certainly uh, delivered the goods and was just basically peeling the onion on what was an exciting Serie A season. Uh, so certainly, um, certainly great to have that. Uh, we are going to uh, recap Match Week 38. We do have some postseason questions as we uh, review this Serie A season. And um, we will also hand out some awards. And uh, Richard, we have a guest this week, uh, you know, to help us wrap up the season. Um, He is a freelance writer specializing in Italian and Scottish football. Um, He is editor of The Gentleman Ultra and makes his fifth cap uh, with the Serie A sit-down. And uh, uh, very privileged to have him on. Uh, He is Blair Newman. Ciao, Blair.
0: Hi, guys. How you doing?
2: You, you uh, we're doing great. You and Richard have been guests on Sirius XMFC, and I have not. Uh, you, uh, you know, so they, 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 I think it's just that I would I would spit out a few four-letter words that they just wouldn't like on radio. <laughs> and
1: they're trying to family.
2: That's probably why I don't get the get you know get the privilege of being on those programs, although you had the pleasure of speaking with Rodney Marsh and Tommy Smith. Uh,
1: yeah.
2: I missed out on that interview. Uh, did, did, did Rodney Marsh spend a lot of time asking you about former Premier League players in Serie? A? He
0: didn't ask me about Premier League players. He asked me why there weren't many great Serie A players moving to the Premier League anymore, though.
1: And you, oh, did you say did. because the Premier League isn't good. Oh, whoops.
0: Uh, <laughs> I, I avoided criticizing the Premier League. I was very pragmatic.
2: You're better yeah. than me. Would have been a good way to. Would have been a go, good way to do it. So, your words. <laughs> I'm going to guess your words per minute were significantly less than Richard when he did his appearance, though. So. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so. Richard just Richard was just Richard was, uh, in a cold car on his third cup of coffee, uh, when he gave his interview. So, you know, I need me say more, but anyway, uh, you know, Blair privilege to have you on as always, as we, uh, you know, get into this, um, uh, you know, end of, uh, season review, uh, which just finished only about two hours ago. So, uh, we're already right on top of everything. Uh, and, uh, we're going to start with a quick review guys of, um, uh, this past match week, match week 38. Um, Not a whole lot, uh, you know, to talk about uh, in the first several games. We obviously had Gianluigi Buffon's last game with Juventus. um, And Blair, uh, you know, he gets gets substituted in the 60th minute. um, Standing ovation, hugs all around, all this other stuff. But uh, there was an incident there in the second half that had this been a little bit early, had it not, you know, had it been a little bit earlier in the season maybe, and well, you know, considering the privilege that Juventus gets in Serie a with the referees, had this been in the other league or Champions League, Buffon should have been sent, could have been sent off, and Verona should have gotten a penalty, right?
0: Well, I'm going to be honest, Frank. Say I didn't actually see that moment, so I'm going to have to have you enlighten me on that.
2: Uh, I believe, and who was it that was played through? Richard um, was uh, starting to uh, get into the goal, and I think Buffon made a challenge. And somewhat obstructed the Verona player and and mm. thought made contact. Uh, but look, see the,
0: referee, we... the referee shouldn't get in the way of, you know, the occasion, Frank, you
2: know? Well that's just it. And <laughs> that's just it. And that's the point that's the point that I'm making. I I I, I think uh, some of our Napoli friends jumped on and and <laughs> and and tweeted the video and all of a sudden said, you know, I get it. And if it was earlier in the season, yeah, maybe. <laughs> they, 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 send Buffon off and they give Verona a penalty, but this is his last game. <laughs> they're not going to, they're not going to do this in this particular situation. So that's um, after what
0: happened at his last Champions League
2: game. Yeah. Right, exactly, exactly. He his well he was... league, wanted to give him a little bit nicer farewell than the one he got in the Champions League. <laughs> no doubt about it. Richard, did you see that?
1: I did see that. That's crazy. I couldn't believe it.
2: Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So that's a uh, bit. All that aside, um, you know, and I know Richard, you and Scott spent a lot of time on, you spent some time on last week's podcast discussing Buffon's career and Buffon's legacy. You know, I just want to chime in a little bit um, on this. You know, a lot can be made about what happened in Madrid. Uh, the, the reality for me is is that it, it, you're going to take a step back from that at some point, just like I did with Zinedine Zidane. Um, the headbutt on Marazzi is probably. You know, it's certainly not going to be one of the first things I think about when I think about Zidane. I think about his time with Juventus. I think about that World Cup final against Brazil. I think about the clinic he put on in Euro 2000. Those things come to my mind before the headbutt, strangely enough. And, you know, Buffon, I'm going to think of all of the great saves he made throughout, a, throughout his career, uh, winning the World Cup for Italy. Uh, you know, and those are the things before I think about that little tantrum that he threw in Madrid. Um, in the Champions League quarterfinals, it's just one of those things. It's 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 fresh on everybody's mind because it recently happened, um, you know. But Blair, it's pretty safe to say this is that that's an incident that's just going to be kind of kind of tucked back a little bit, you know, when you think about Buffon's career as a whole.
0: Absolutely, I don't think anybody's going to let that sour their memories of him keeping goal for Italy and, and even Juventus at times. I've got to say I'm not a Juve fan particularly. But when they play in Europe, there, is, uh, there are a few teams that are better to watch because they, they just managed to find a way. And Buffon's been such a huge part of those successes yep. over the last few seasons. And, and it's just a shame they couldn't win that Champions League for him. But he won everything else. So he's had an yep. incredible career, and, and that's how we'll remember him.
2: Absolutely. There's no doubt about that. Um, so uh, the weekend went on. There was Europa League implications concerning Milan, Milan v Fiorentina. Atalanta traveling to Cagliari, you know, everything pretty much got taken care of with Milan beating Fiorentina 5-1. to one. Uh, I will take credit for waking up the strikers for Milan uh, after uh, they fell behind 1-0. I think I went to Twitter and I, you know, had some uh, choice words for the, uh, the attacking players for Milan for all the chances that they were creating and not scoring. I think I said something to the fact that Fiorentina are going to shithouse this game yeah, because we've much. got strikers that can't score. Um, doing everything else right except that. And then all of a sudden, Kutroni uh, gets a brace. And, 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 and I didn't see the Kalinich goal. I was off coaching my son's soccer game. But then I came back and I saw the replays. And I went after Richard because Richard thought that Kalinich dunked on me. I'm like, he made a goal that my mother would have scored. Yeah, he made a goal after <laughs> so- you called him out. I'm, that's what I was trying to say. <laughs> okay. Okay. Because you're sitting there with Because when you tweeted me, I said this. I said, well, did you do something spectacular? And I went, oh, what? I said, what the hell, Richard? Hey, by
1: his standards, that's, <laughs> spectac- by, by his standards, those are, that's a spectacular goal because he doesn't score.
2: I guess you're right. Sure. <laughs> I guess you're right. And then the uh, relegation uh, scrap really got anticlimactic as Crotone. As and there I go again with the Crotone. <laughs> Good news for me is that I don't have to worry about this next season. Yeah. And because uh, Crotone is the third team relegated along with Verona and Benevento. They lose at Napoli 2-0. Um, You know, so the rest of the teams that were sweating this out, Udinese, Chievo, um, uh, Cagliari, um, and I think there's one other team. in the Spa Spa with a great 3-1 win against Sampdoria. We probably expected that considering Sampdoria is a waveform in 2018. Uh, So it ended up being a little bit anticlimactic because Crotoni didn't didn't do anything to threaten um, the uh, teams in front of them. So they go down with Hellas Verona and with Benevento. Uh, and uh, I get to keep some money in my pocket as as I now do not have to go and try to figure out how to buy a (laughs) semi-jersey. So, Richard, you lost that bet. Uh, We had Lazio and Inter, and boy, did they deliver the goods. This was for a place in the UEFA Champions League next season. Lazio came into the game in fourth, three points ahead of Inter. Um, Only a win for Inter would see them uh, snatch fourth from Lazio on the last day and into the Champions League. Uh, and uh, Lazio got things going. Uh, they It was a uh, a shot by Adam Marusic, but ended up being an Ivan Perisic own goal on nine minutes uh, to put Lazio ahead. 20 minutes later, Inter would equalize with uh, Danilo Di Ambrosio, um, a, a corner kick, kind of a deflection, a rebound. Di Ambrosio came from technically being out of bounds. He was in the goal, uh, you know, to come back out and wrap his, Foot kind of around Strakosha's head to get a touch on the ball and put it into the back of the net. Very strange goal for Lazio to concede. Um, And, you know, Lazio's problems defending set pieces uh, would rear its ugly head later. But before that happened, Felipe Anderson restored order for the home side with a 41st minute goal, putting him ahead 2 1. Um, Inter would have a penalty in the 78th minute well they 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 thought they had a penalty a few minutes before uh but then var uh came to the rescue and overturned it uh richard a little background for everybody that didn't catch that on what happened
1: on the first penalty on well, the first penalty um they uh, has a corner kick i believe it was or something and uh, or a free kick and one of the players for intern i forget which one or who it was uh, It could have been uh, I want to say it's Vecino, but maybe it wasn't. Uh, he gets pushed down in the box when the play goes when the ball goes near him. Uh, so they call for a penalty right away, and, and they go back. And then, so everyone's clamoring. Everyone's like, "What the hell is a penalty? A penalty?" So they go to VAR. Uh, VAR referee took a look at the video. They said no penalty. Uh, so at that moment, lots of fans thought, "Okay, we got away with we got away with there," uh, but that wasn't the case, was it?
2: No, it wasn't. Uh, so that's that's that. But then uh, just a few minutes later, there would be a penalty. Uh, and up steps Moro Icardi for his 29th goal, which would tie Chiro Imoble uh, uh, for the uh, Capo Cananieri. Uh And this penalty and this goal scored by Icardi Blair happens three minutes after, strangely, Simonian Zaghi decides to take off Chiro Imoble.
0: Mm, yeah, it was a strange one. Um, I'm not a big fan of managers taking off their best players, to be honest. I think we've seen... You know, Spalletti actually made that mistake a few a few weeks ago against Juventus that he taken off Icardi, bringing on David Santon. And we saw what happened mm-hmm. there. Yeah. I think the lesson is: just don't take your top scorer off when you need you know you might need a goal. I think that's the that's the key takeaway. It's a massive lesson.
2: And it went and it went from and uh, it went from okay, two two is not the end of the world for Lazio. They can hold this. They will still hold the Champions League spot. But a big uh oh moment just a minute after that penalty is scored, Senad Lulic gets his second yellow and is sent off putting Lazio down to 10 men and then 2 minutes later uh, in the 81st minute Inter get a corner and this happened.
1: bandierina. Per il gol del
2: 3-2! Inter complete the turnaround through Matias Vecino a 3-2 win uh, for Inter um Blair, what does this say about this? Inter grab fourth now. They're going to the UEFA Champions League. Lazio fifth, headed to the Europa League. We're not really used to this from Luciano Spalletti teams over the over the years, but isn't it I – mean, there's a little little bit of, uh, you know, poetry to this here with Spalletti taking his team to the Olimpico against the team that he was a rival of for so many years while he was at Roma – and uh, he brings it. He he, he manages his interside side uh, to a three-two win and a place in the Champions League. That's the first thing that I thought about was Max Velez, the former Roma boss, is bringing his new team to the Olympico to beat Lazio and uh, and and uh, take the Champions League place.
0: Yes, it's full of symbolism, isn't it? This win, and it also, I think, it was also interesting that it was Lazio who sort of uh, combusted in this match, whereas usually Inter they've got the they've got the history for. Throwing away these sorts of leads, um, so yeah, it was it was quite nice that they managed to to hold on to one and uh, and get a massive win.
2: I mean, in, Inter now, and we talked about this. This is this is the team that we you know if if we're trying to look at Italian teams doing well in the Champions League and going further, this is the result that we want. We think that the you know you know summer set aside summer, Inter are much better equipped to endure. Or to you know to get themselves into a group where they have a chance of getting out of a group and getting into the knockout, certainly than Lazio do.
0: Definitely, definitely. I think they, in terms of the squad that they've got, the depth, um, the financial backing, the the prestige, they're definitely more uh, more likely to go into the knockout stages than, than Lazio were.
2: And then Richard, Laz- on on Lazio. I mean. This has been Lazio pretty much throughout 2018. They've lived very, very dangerously throughout the season. Yeah, they're they're entertaining. They score goals, but as a neutral, Lazio games are fun because they also concede a bunch.
1: Yeah, and and today was a perfect example of how Lazio play. I mean, also if you look back at the Europa League game where they lost to or, um, to uh, Red Bull Salzburg, same thing. You know, they had a, they had a big lead in that game going into that last game, and they it imploded. And it's exactly what happened here in a five-minute stretch where they were winning the game 2-1, and then penalty, red card, another goal. Uh, just lost their heads again, and this is this is what Lazio does: is they, they score goals and then they lose their heads and then they lo- they lose in remarkable ways, really, in ways that you cannot even imagine. Up, oh, it's like better than Hollywood script. They just pull things out of magic head. Like, let's do this this week. Come on, <laughs> what the heck is wrong with them? And I don't get it. And that they're fully deserving of going to Europa League. As far as like Champions League, I think they have the, their offense is potentially better as better than uh, Inter, but Inter with all the backing, like you said, prestige and everything else, they deserve it more than than Lazio. And obviously, with the result today, um, it's proof in the pudding right there three two. Uh, Inter definitely deserving because Lazio are just two helter skelter. I mean, they're 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 the prime example of Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. It's you can't tell who, you don't know who's going to get come up each week.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. I, I agree with all of that. And it's just was it was strange to see. You know the 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 one thing that made your head scratch a lot of talk about Stefan de Vries p- perhaps going to Inter and he started in this game you know for Lazio but from what I saw you know de Vries wasn't uh, <laughs> trying to fix it Inter's way so um, you know he, he he put in a professional performance for Lazio and one you would expect when you're under contract with a current club so we'll see if we'll see what happens after this and you know uh, uh, I already saw somebody uh, tweeting the uh, uh, Richard the GIF of Roy Williams, the North Carolina basketball coach, getting ready to <laughs> go in and dance with his teammates saying Stiffon I'm, if I'm to be walking into Inter's locker room like this. <laughs> <laughs> nice. No, you didn't. I think that was our friend Matt Santangelo, in fact, that mm. uh uh that 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 put that up there. So I just sat there and I just kinda shook my head. It's like, Oh god. <laughs> That's awesome. That's that, that was clever. Well played. Um so So those are the four uh, Champions League teams, and uh, I was given an education on Twitter by by Blair and by a couple of others that all four of them go to the group stage. It's not three with the fourth-place team playing in the playoff. (coughs) Um, New format this year coming up. Yep, yep, new format. Juve, Napoli, Roma, Inter, all directly to the group stage of the UEFA Champions League. Uh, And then the Europa League, it is uh, Lazio and AC Milan straight to the group stages with Atalanta having to go through a uh, qualifying round. Blair uh Milan had a American preseason tour lined up and what a disaster logistically that would have been um mm. if they would have wound up in 7th and uh, I know I ha- we have some friends here that have tickets to that AC Milan Tottenham game in Minneapolis Minnesota which is about a 6 hour drive from where I live mm. um I I could imagine a scenario where Milan would have had to pull out of that uh preseason tour because of this qualifying schedule so everybody can breathe breathe easy now yeah I mean I, I guess
0: I mean, even if Milan had finished seventh, I guess your friends would have been able to to travel to Romania to watch them play a sort of a, a seventh, <laughs> a seventh yeah. place Romanian team in a qualifier. It would have been just as just as good a game, I'm sure, as playing Tottenham. Uh, he said sarcastically.
2: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, 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 no. Playing any teams that have the word "sticky" on the back of their shirts this time around. So, <laughs> um, what was that? Cry- Cryova, Yeah. Um, so, uh, so, so that's, uh, that's a fortunate thing. So a logistical, uh, nightmare, uh, certainly averted and, and certainly for the guys who run the international champions cup here, uh, in the States. So, um, so that wraps it up. So your top four for the champions league, Juve winning the title, Napoli second, Roma third, uh, Inter fourth, as I mentioned, uh, Europa league, Lazio and Milan straight to the group stages without the to need to qualify, uh, Croctone, Hellas Verona and Benevento are relegated. Uh, So that is match week 38. And let's get into a little bit of a postseason Q&A. All right. So let's start at the top. Uh, Juventus are champions yet again. Uh, Many will say that they got a lot of help from the officiating, and there certainly isn't much denying that. Richard and I certainly spent a lot of time venting about that here uh, on the Serie A sit-down. But, again, they proved to be the best and deepest team on the peninsula. Um, We don't know what the summer Mercato will bring. uh, But, um, Blair, looking at the contenders for next season, I mean, who's best equipped to uh, deny Juventus making this eighth straight?
0: Um, I'm gonna go Napoli again. I went with Napoli at the start of the season, actually, to win to win the title, and I was so sure they were gonna do it. They'd kept all their best players, they'd kept the group together, they had a very clear style of play. I thought there's no way they can 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 sort of improve. So, you'll know, naturally Napoli will finally get that title, and it didn't happen. And I don't know how it didn't happen because Juventus, as as good as they are, didn't really ever make me think, wow, what a team this season, Rotation. and yet they've ended up. Yep a number of points ahead of ahead of Napoli who had one of their best ever seasons. So it's it's difficult to imagine Napoli doing that well again next season, but again they just have to keep hold of the group they have, probably invest a little bit more in the summer and then they have a better shot at it. Failing that, I would say Inter Milan now that they have the Champions League money and maybe a bit of momentum going into the summer, you know, with Spalletti in charge and a pretty decent crop of players, I, I could say I could see them putting in more of a challenge next season.
2: Any concern when it comes to Napoli? Any concern about what ends up happening with Maurizio Sarri? Certainly, the season just ended. We don't know, you know. And if he moves on, clearly a new manager coming in, it's going to be a different set of tactics. Mm-hmm. because What Sarri does is unique, and you know, will the current crop or whatever is left buy into what the new manager does and how quickly? A concern that points are just going to get dropped simply because of that, to the point where it's going to be hard for Napoli to sustain that kind of uh, that kind of pressure on Juve like they did this season.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, some of the names mentioned as well. I uh, heard uh, Carlo Ancelotti and Antonio Conte. These, I mean, these are great managers in their own right, but completely different managers to to Sarri, completely different managers to what these guys are used to. So, like you say, it would take a bit of time to bed in. I mean, Marco Giampaolo is probably the closest thing he can get to Sarri. He took over from Sarri Empoli and made Empoli better. So maybe, you know, there's an argument he could do the same at Napoli, but it's, it's a massive step up for him. So they need to keep Sarri. He's one of the best coaches in the world. It's you know his style is so embedded, so they they need to keep him.
2: And Richard, uh, who who do you who who do you see as the best equipped, uh, you know, to give Juve a run for their money next season?
1: Uh, Blair mentioned Napoli, and I'm going to go a different direction just just for argument's sake. Um, th- I don't think Milan is there yet. There there are still ways to go just to get the Champions League. Uh, so I don't think they're going to be challenging for Scudetto just yet, uh, without knowing who is coming in in the summer um enter with the moves they made already i think um they have the the offense play they just need their defense is now rounding out with three solid central defenders if they keep them all we'll, we'll see who knows uh but i think inter um roma with what how deep they went in the champions league if they can get some of that magic from the champions league into into the season and, and be more consistent uh, with the results, they, they had a great season this year they, they could challenge uh juventus this season and then Lazio if they can find a way to play defense to stop goals from scoring. They have the offense. They just got to stop the goals from going in. If they can find that, they can be in the race. But uh, those are the three teams I'm going to look at um, outside of Napoli.
2: Okay. I'm just going back and looking at Milan's point totals. um, Second half of the season. If you don't look at
1: the first, like, three games under Gattuso's reign, it was, like, the third best overall or something like that. But I don't know if quality-wise if they're there yet. They're it's
2: it's it's Champions League reaching form because it's 36 points in the second half of the season or somewhere in that that range and if they can double that, if they can double that that 72 points, well fourth place was 72 points, so right. Uh, right. you know and find a way to grab another point here or there. So yeah, I, you know I agree with that assessment. Um, I'm gonna, I, I I I like the shouts here, but I like Roma. You know I, I think that. Uh, there's some stability now. I mean, I think Di Francesco has proven himself as a manager, and, and right now Roma might be more of a cup team, uh, you know, than they are of the league team, and that that's a sensible thing to believe because, um, you know, monkey, where did he come from, Sevilla, and how many times did Sevilla win the Europa League when he was, you know, when he was director there? Three. In a and, row. Yeah, hmm. exactly. So, um, but. You know, if they can if they can hang on to some players here, I think Chenji Zunder is going to only get a little bit better. I'm going to talk about him a little bit later. Um, you know, Sheikh was disappointing this season. Um, you know, who knows what they're going to do with Hayden Jekyll, but there's a crop of players there where they they have a chance to do some promising things. I mean, most importantly, they got to hang on to Stone, uh in goal. Uh, but uh, there's a nice nucleus of players there uh, that if they can add to it a little bit. Um, I can see Roma continuing Di Francesco's project and being very, very dangerous next season. Um, and I I, I I, like the shout for Inter. Um, you know, this, this was a... This is one of those kind of games, this win here against Lazio, that's a springboard, not just for them, but also for Spalletti as a manager. It seems like Inter finally have some stability with him in charge. They've just... How many managers did they go through since Mourinho won the treble in 2010? I think it was like 12. Um, Something crazy. You know, Yeah, in the space of eight years. So they've got some stability at manager. They've got some stability now in the back room. Uh, They they add some pieces to this. Uh, They're going to be – they're going to make this interesting as well. I think that things are going to be a little bit tighter. This season we thought it was Juve and Napoli uh, in a horse – in a neck-and-neck race, and that's what it ended up being. I think next season it's it's open. It's wide open. Um, I think Juventus might still end up being the favorites when it's all said and done. But like I said a couple of weeks ago in our podcast, you take Buffon out of that dressing room. You take Lichsteiner out of that dressing room. You're taking some veterans out of that dressing room. Never underestimate um, what their presence means off the pitch and in the dressing room and in those and in those situations. It's going to be curious to see what Juve are made of uh, with some of the changes that are going to be in store for them this summer. So. I, I see it being a wide open. I, I see it being a pretty wide open league next season, and I see maybe three, possibly a fourth team could sneak in there, uh, and, and make this a very, very interesting uh, Scudetto race. Are we in um, agreement
1: that Juventus are the odds-on favorite right now, as it stands?
2: I'd hmm. say so. Yeah. They, they. I mean, they're the champions until somebody else proves otherwise. Seven years in a row. You. <laughs> you yeah. You don't. You don't, just, you don't just do that throwing your black and white shirt on the pitch. I believe so. more
1: in Juventus this year than I did last year. Last year, I was definitely on Napoli's side going into the mm-hmm. offseason. This year, I'm you back in Juventus. Yep.
0: Yeah, me too. Me too. Yep.
1: yep. Uh, AC Milan.
2: Um, I think with all of the changes, the three of us all being Milan supporters, we expected a Champions League place from them this season. With all the new arrivals, we thought maybe they'd win the Europa League. Um you know, mismanagement of players early on by Montella, uh, poor striker play. We'll have a little more on that later, and then just you know, we learned the hard way that you can't just bring eleven players in and, and expect them to just immediately win win against everybody, especially the top teams in this league. Uh, so they needed time to gel. So those all those expectations were derailed pretty quickly. So safe to say that Milan were a disappointment, despite finishing sixth and getting into the Europa League group stages, but. Let's set aside Milan, Richard, and tell me, um, is there another team uh, or player that you were disappointed in this season? Uh,
1: I'm going to go with Sassuolo. Now, they kind of corrected their season at the end, um, but they started out the season, they had had a front three of Falcinelli, Berardi, and Politano, and they did nothing for the first half of the season. I mean, nothing. Politano woke up in the second half and started producing. Falcinelli ended up having to go to Fiorentina. He still did nothing. Um, and, and Berardi really didn't do anything until the end of the season where he started scoring some goals. But because of that, the team struggled and they languished and they ended up being in relegation talk for a decent part of the season when they had no right to be in that discussion. They even got Kuma Babakar uh, in the in January window and still couldn't do anything. They finally gotten a, They finally found themselves... Uh, towards I think it was March or something, end of March, and they w- went on a good streak there, and then now, they had, now they're safely, and I think well, they ended up like 11th place, I think, or something. Yeah, um, they so
2: finished 11.
1: Yeah, so they finished, they finished well, but they, you know, for most of the season they were in the relegation zone, and they were the big disappointment for me, um, especially those, especially Diego Falcinelli, uh Politanò, and and um, Berardi. Mostly the other two, not Politano. Politano kind of found himself at the end of the season, but yeah, those front three is what, from what we expected of them, or what, at least what I expected of them. It was it was really high goals, a lot of goals with them, and they did not produce at all. Uh, Blair, how about you?
0: For me, uh, Sampdoria were, were, were slightly disappointing. Um, they finished ninth. I think they actually improved on last season in the in the position and the points total. So it might seem a bit unfair, but especially when they they lost a few players last summer like iron and Chick, but I expected a bit more from them. They ended up with as many defeats as they had, wins and a minus goal difference, and they finished at I think, 10 points off Milan. So it was, uh, you know, at one point they were in the contention for the Open League and they ended up in sort of mid-table. So I expected a bit more from them, to be honest. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to go with Samp.
2: Okay, I can I can agree with that. I, I you know, I think, you know, it's fair to say that Samp were found out. Giampalo likes that 4 3 1 2 system. He was, you know, mm-hmm. Gaston's that Trenquantista. A lot of reliance on a very old man scoring their goals in Quagliarela. And I think the whole thing just got found out. And I just, the, 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 the crazy thing to me when looking at Sampdoria game down the stretch is I didn't see any adjustment whatsoever. You say, hey, no. this is, you know, we got to figure out a way to stop this bleeding. We got to try something new. We got to try something fresh. And just nothing.
1: Um, well, Sari did the so. same thing with Napoli. Boy, they're, just, yeah, they're yeah,
2: struggling Maybe that's
0: maybe that's what makes Gianpello a perfect savvy of a place at
2: least. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. Um, I'm going to go with Udinese. Um, yeah. You know, they 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 changed managers and they went with, uh, <clears throat> you know, they went with uh, Massimo Odo. And the last time we had Blair on, they were in eighth at the end of December, and we're talking about them being a thorn in everybody's side and 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 getting ready to ruin somebody's season. We thought that was the trajectory that they were going on. Um, you know, so many talented. Uh, young players, um, they had a reasonably reliable, re- reliable finisher in Kevin Lasagna. You've got, uh, you know, Antonin Barak, who was in good form, Jakob um, uh Gosh, you know, who are the younger players? I mean, they've, they've obviously shifted their recruitment policy to Eastern Europe, where it had been in South America for so many years. Um, you know, and o- auto seemed to have something that everybody was buying into. They were playing well. They beat Inter uh, among some of their other wins. Um, you know, and looked like they were into the ascendancy. And then they just went on this incredible losing streak. Uh, I think they ended up losing 11 straight games, sacked auto, bring on Igor Tudor, uh, you know, to clean up the mess, you know, and they closed the season winning two straight, um, you know, to, to consolidate 14th. But, you know, when we were at the end of December, if you guys would have told me that they would go into match week 37 just one point up, one point above the relegation zone, I would have said crazy. You're crazy. So, um, it was just, uh, and, and the thing that astonished me, and we alluded to this on a podcast a few months ago, Richard, they, it was quiet. How it, you know, it, it just seemed to be so quiet because everybody, the, the attention was on the title race. Um, uh, you know, some of these European places and some of the, all of a sudden, all of a sudden you blink and you see Udinese sitting down, you know, fifteenth, sixteenth, seventeenth, fighting for their city, lives. And, uh, Certainly did not expect that from them. uh, The way uh, the way they were running, because they were in Serie A, they were unbeaten in December. They went from that to uh, just uh, surviving to remain in uh, in Serie A. So, so Udinese is the 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 team I was um, disappointed with, especially uh, in the second half of the season. Um, So, you know, saying that it's pretty easy to set Serie A into tears. Um, where Juve is in one by themselves until someone proves otherwise, as we've said, then you've got second through seventh, the rest of the European qualifiers. Um, and then I think you have Fiorentina, Torino and Samp that, you know, they're all just off of those places in table position, but also an overall talent. So that's your top half of the table. You know, after that, I have some really bad teams in this league and we have to face this. Um, and that's, there's a gulf in quality between the top half and the bottom half. Um, Blair, I'm going to actually start with you on this one. You know, as someone that covers a lot of Serie A, you know, what do you see that is needed uh, for there to be more more parity in Serie A?
0: Um, well, I'm going to use Atalanta as an example. Uh, we were talking about Atalanta before, and you know my love for them and for Gasparini, and I think um, it's it's easy to say, just copy and paste what they do, but I think what I'm trying to say is, is use them as a, as a sort of model um, you know, look at them as a team that, you know, has the best practice of, of all those sort of sub-top six sides yep. and just try and do something similar. I mean, they've got a great scouting system, you know, so if they sell their best players, they're able to bring in three or four other guys. I mean, they brought in Palomino from Bulgaria and he looks like a flying centre-back. They brought in Hattabo from Holland, I think on a free, He did a really good job at right wing-back. So, um, I think, you know, bringing a coach that has a very clear idea of what he wants to do and implements it fearlessly Um invest in your youth policy so that you've always got a couple of players coming through and you know don't be afraid to sell your best players but only do that if you have you know a good scouting system and you can you know use that money and reinvest it properly because too often I see teams you know selling some of their best players I think Sam did it last season with, with Schick and, and Skriniar and just wasting the money on, on you know mid-table players you know if you're going to sell your best player you need to bring in other players that are going to develop into your best player and I think Atalanta have done that really well
2: yeah Richard?
1: Yeah, it's um, it, it's a hard question because you know if it was easy, it would have been done already, right? Uh, right? And a lot of a lot of people are saying that maybe the twenty league system is is part of the problem there, and and they're pushing for the eighteen eighteen team league. I don't know if that's going to solve it because really, you could say thirteen through twenty were crap this year from Kiev all on downward. Um, so. How do, you, how do you restore the, make parity in the league? Well, at least for the teams that are coming up, this is a crazy idea, but, you know, maybe those teams should be exempt from, player, from teams taking their players. Example, so like when Pescara came up, they lost La Padula right away. Um, I believe they have two really good quality strikers right now, the top two scorers in Serie B. Now, if they're going to come up, when they're going to come up this year, I'm, I'm, I'm going to guarantee you at least one of those strikers is going to get poached from another, one of these teams in Serie A. If you leave those teams the way they are, Going into Serie, Serie A, maybe they have a chance because they got the chemistry. But that's that's just that's a sol- that's just you know, that's just a, a part of the problem. You know, just the, the teams coming into Serie A from Serie B. Uh, the rest of it goes. I mean, I'm I'm with Blair on this one. It's it's about scouting. So many teams have neglected their scouting system, uh, and they they're all about buying players, buying buying this, buying that. But when you when you lose, some lose your players, who do you have to you know follow them in the footsteps? Their academy, these youth academies are not as. Uh, uh, they're not invested in much as they used to be. Uh, I remember Milan players we used to be all the time. There's all these youngsters coming up all the time. Now it's this far and few between. I mean, hey, yeah, you got Lautaro, you got some other guys coming up behind him. But it used to be a farm system. I mean, Atalanta is a perfect example. Um, and it's Gianpiero Gasparini. It's, it's like he was saying. It's hey, I hate to repeat it, but um, what they're doing over there is exactly the way they do it. Udinese, same thing. Their scouting system is, is ridiculous. It's, it's it's they're finding players before, like you said, South America. Now it's Eastern Europe um juventus they have while they have they buy all the players they want they have a great scouting system they they buy all these young players and then they loan them out uh and they get better i mean mandragora and 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 Orsolini, they're all out on loan getting better players getting better well on their other teams and they come back to juventus when they're really good or rugani was the same way so i think it's all about scouting and the youth teams and developing those and and if, if they can figure out how to do that and try not to sell to the big clubs uh, all the time, uh, maybe there'll be some parity, but it's hard. I mean, Juventus have the money also, and it's, it's you know, yeah, the Milan clubs have money, and maybe Roma does, and Lazio as well, but uh, it's not Juventus' money. Juventus are raking in the money right now, and, and you know, you got to get the Champions League to make more money if you want to do that, so uh, it's, it's, it's a hard question to answer, and, um, yeah, I don't know if there's a right one, which one's going to work faster than the other, but... Yeah, it's 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 definitely a tough situation.
2: Um, 18 teams is not going to happen, just from a pure revenue standpoint with City. I I hope it doesn't. I hope. I just I just don't see you know just from a pure business standpoint. um, It's 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 cheesy, but City I would want the extra games, uh, you know, for the revenue generation. So. I wish this could happen, and this is a little bit of a reach, but I wish that some I wish that teams can be limited to the number of players they're allowed to take on loan. If there's a way to do that, um, because every time I see, every time I go through and try to get little, you know, capsules at the end of the transfer season, you know, to see the business that everybody has done, I look at some of these bottom-tier teams and. It seems like at least half, if not more, and it just might just be what I see optically. It may not be true, but it seems like at least half, if not more, um, of the players that they have in their squad uh, for the season are players that are on loan from other clubs, you know. So, you know, I, I obviously never got the fortune to play overseas and that sort of thing, but You know, yeah, you're going on. A player's going on loan to gain experience, but how invested are they uh, in that particular club and seeing that particular club be successful? Or are they just going there to get the playing time and it's just kind of shrug your shoulders whether you win or you want to whether you win or lose? You're getting the playing experience. That's where I, you know, and I think some of these teams in the past have just tried to patch it together, you know, with too many loanees. Uh, So I like the, you know, strengthen the youth uh, system if you can uh you, be a little bit smarter with your scouting um you know the, the combination of those couple of things um because i think there, there have been teams in the past where i feel like there's like 15 players that are on loan from other clubs well what happens when you go back down to Serie they they're all just going to go back to their parent clubs and continue to play serie are they're going to get loans somewhere else in serie a or another top plate league so um you know but i, I like the comments here about and, and atalanta is an excellent model uh You know, in terms of how they've gone about their uh, gone about their business, and if you know the Spalls of the world, and if the uh, the Bolognas of the world, and the Ciebos of the world can try and copycat that model, we're going to see more seasons where, you know, like what we saw the last two seasons. The last year it was Atalanta, and they're a big surprise. Well, now they've they've sustained it. You know, but two seasons ago, Sassuolo was the was this trendy team that was uh, that was disrupting the uh, the big boys. So, you know that's what I would like to see from those, those uh, bottom half teams. Uh, So Mm -hmm. we'll see. Um, But, but I'm at least going in that direction. I'd like to see limit on, you know, because then I think it would also give the, these bottom half teams and these promoted teams incentive to, you know, put more time into developing their own, developing their own talent. So, Mm -hmm. and we'll see what, we'll see what Empoli and, and Parma are going to do when they come in. Great to have Parma back uh, in Serie A. Um, you know, I mean, just to get nostalgic, uh, the three of us all get nostalgic about the past Parma teams, uh, especially the ones from the 90s. There's uh, some great players. I mean, um, and then, uh, you know, another another poetic thing that ha- that yesterday has, Gianluigi Buffon closes the door on his Serie A career, the place where it started, Parma, back in Serie A. So meant to all happen, wasn't it? But uh, you know, is Parma going to get back to having those teams where they had the, you know, all of those great players through the years, where there was Hernan Crespo, where there was, uh, uh, you know, Fabio Cannavaro even played there. Um, man Turam. Turam, exactly. We can go on and on. Aspria um, uh, spent a little time there, if I'm not mistaken, the Colombian striker. Yeah, yeah. Um, yep. So, uh, Hristo Stoichkov. Yeah. Um, you know the list goes. The list goes on and on. Gianfranco Zola. Um, you know so many great players. Uh, you know in Parma from the '90s, and let's just hope that this is maybe the beginning of their slow ascent. They have just they went on this rampage to get promoted from Serie D to Lega Pro to Serie B to Serie A uh, in four seasons. So we'll see what happens. And then Empoli, they were a four-letter word to us last year because in a league of so many goals, <laughs> they they were the only ones not scoring. And then they go back down to Serie B and they're the highest. They're the highest, if not one of the highest scoring teams in Serie B to get back up. So uh, we'll we'll see what they have to offer. Um, so what I want to finish with, uh, you know, before we move on and start handing out some awards, guys, is it was recently announced that Serie A teams were allow are now allowed to field B teams or reserve teams that can play in the lower divisions uh, of of Lega Calcio. Um, and and Blair helped me out with this. Do they start in Serie C, uh, or, or Lega Pro? I'm
0: assuming they'll start in Serie C, yeah, because that's the the first professional league, isn't it? They could probably they could
2: start in. Okay, and then they can't go any higher than Serie B ever. They could win Serie B, and they would not be allowed to be promoted. So,
0: and I'm guessing that they can't be in the same league as their as the as their first team. So if the first team gets relegated; they can't be in that league.
2: Right, right. right. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna start with you, uh, Blair. Uh, good. Good thing, good thing, bad thing, or let's let's see what happens um
0: good thing for the teams that get to have their reserves play really good football. Um, don't think it's a good thing for the teams that are going to miss out on those leagues because theventus' b team is going to be in the league mm-hmm. uh, and and probably you know will it be a good thing for Italian football in terms of the national team and youth development? Probably, probably, but the only thing I would say is a lot of these players that. Are um, they're at, they're these young players that are at these big clubs that they're on loan at Serie B and Serie C teams anyway? So, what's the point in, in having them play for a B team in those leagues? So, I guess I don't really, I'm not going to say I'm, I'm wholly sort of up on, on the move, but uh, you know, for this, on what I do know, I'm probably slightly against it.
2: To me, it seems like an opportunity for the parent club rather than sending them on loan to another club. I mean, Jose Mauri comes as a prime example. Milan loan him out and I, where did he go? Um, this season and then hardly played. He um,
0: uh, was somewhere
2: exempl- else. Yep. Yep. It was somewhere else. So rather than that, now he gets to play, you know, on AC Milan's reserve team and gets to get that experience. And now the club can closely can monitor him more closely. That's the, that that's at least the good that I see out of it for the clubs that are going to get to field the beat teams. Yeah. This does cheat some of those teams that are at the lower reaches that have, you know, certainly established themselves and have certainly done what they've, they've needed to do to earn that status. Um, that is the downside, but you know, talking to a couple of uh, friends who who follow La Liga pretty closely, you know, Real Madrid have a B team, Barcelona have a B team, and it's it's it, it it works. It certainly works well for the big boys. So, Richard, your thoughts on uh, on on, on Lega Calcio implementing this?
1: It's uh it's interesting. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of with you. Guys. I'm, not, I'm not for. I'm not against it. I mean, definitely for the bigger clubs, it's going to be for. Because they're gonna have, like you said, uh, you know, the players that they're instead of they're gonna send them on loan. They don't get to play. They'll at least be playing. Uh, so there's that. But then against uh, there's other teams, that could be, um, they'll miss out on, on on these leagues. I mean, Sarah C and and below. There's it's not just one league. It's multiple leagues. You know, there's several more teams in C and D than there are in B, obviously. Uh, so you got that going for you. So it'll be yes, it'll be one or two teams will be missing out, or whatever. However many teams are going to be missing out, but. There's still plenty of teams in those leagues, so it's not going to be the worst thing in the world. Um, like Blair said, it's going to be for the development of the national team, it's going to be better. Um, for those bigger clubs, their players are going to get more opportunity to get game experience against you know professionals, which is important when they eventually want to get promoted uh, to their senior level or move on. Uh, they'll have that experience, which is you can't, you can't replace experience. I 'm sorry, all the drills in the world to get you ready for anything—it's not going to get you it 's not going to make you ready for a game as game experience, so that's you know ultimately i may, I might just be slightly in favor of this, but um really it's it's still too early to tell for me i guess and um, it'd just be interesting to see which teams are going to be involved, obviously the big teams are going to be you know Juventus milan inter lazio Roma. but who else is going to be involved in, in uh uh, the whole loan system, how is that going to affect everything with, you know, all those players are going to bring them back to their to reserve team? Are they going to keep some of them out? I mean, some teams like Juventus have so many players. They could do, field a B team and then have the rest of the players on loan probably playing against them. So um, it's curious. And then I, I, actually that kind of brings up a good point because, like, say Juventus, for example, they have, a, you know, the reserve team playing. Well, they, I'm sure they have tons more players out on loan. Are those players allowed to play against their, their reserve team? You know, how is that going to work? I'm sure there's going to be something in there. I'm sure it probably don't matter at that point but um yeah it's it's up in the air for me right now and I, if uh, I'll probably say I'm I'm slightly for it just, just cuz it's the unknown really and I yeah I'm just going to to be different I guess
2: <laughs> Okay so you're just indifferent it just let's just let's just leave it at that you just gave us a long-winded uh answer of I'm I'm indifferent on this which is <laughs> kind of a could have just done that and saved us about those 10 minutes of my life I can't get back. Thanks, Richard. <laughs> so I gave you time to drink some beer. Uh, I'm not drinking any beer right now. That's the problem. I'm drinking that's water. That's the problem. So that's probably what it is. So I probably would have been able to tolerate it a little bit more. Uh, but anyway. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> those are our thoughts, and those are some uh, uh, postseason topics that we wanted to hit on. Um, so let's move on and uh, hand out some awards, good and bad. All right. Awards time. And, uh, we're going to begin with our crap on a cracker team. These are the, this is the starting 11 that we could put together. That was just absolutely awful. And here at the city I sit down, uh, there is a very simple criteria for making crap on a cracker. You had to have played and you had to have played You had to have played enough games to warrant you had to have been, well, you had to have played enough games and you had to have been an awful in enough games to warrant making this team. So, I mean, this brings suck to a whole new level, um, you know, and we picked a uh, we picked a four four two formation for this. Um, and uh, we're, I'm just going to run through this and we'll talk about it after that. Uh, we're the uh, team of the season. We're going to get a little more in detail on each player. But uh, so here we're going to get the bad, bad stuff out of the way. Does that sound good to you guys? Yes. Yes. OK. OK. Yeah. All right. So the crap on a cracker team for the 2017-2018 season. Uh, Benevento goalkeeper Albano, Bizzar- B- Albano Bizzari. Uh, Bologna defender Giancarlo Gonzalez. Benevento defender Gaetano Letizia. Benevento defender Lorenzo Venuti. Verona defender Samuel Suprian. Sassuolo midfielder Francesco Manganelli. Udinese midfielder Seco Fofana. Uh, Sassuolo winger Domenico Berardi. Crotone winger Adrian Stoyan. Uh, AC Milan striker Nikola Kalinic and uh, Sassuolo slash Fiorentina striker Diego Falcinelli. Um, Blair uh Seems like he got a booking or sent off about every other game and that's why he's in this team.
0: <laughs> I, I, uh, to be honest, I, I used to quite like Magnonelli. Um There was a time <laughs> when I... Called for him to replace Pirlo in the Italian national team. So, I'm oh gonna, no, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna stay quiet. I'm gonna stay quiet. I like him. He's he's he's. I think he had a big injury last season. Um, and yeah, he's. I think him and just the whole Sassuolo team didn't didn't hit the heights this season, did they?
2: Yeah, they didn't. And Giancarlo Gonzalez of Bologna, he's in this team simply because he was marking Aider and allowed Ader to score a goal. Um, for season. So he's he's firmly embedded in this team. Uh, Richard, uh, you know, some players that we certainly expect a heck of a lot more of Domenico Berardi and Nikola Kalinic considering the roles they were given.
1: Yeah, those, uh, both those players were you know, expected to score a lot of goals this season and neither really, uh, were, uh, capable of doing that sake of we thought would have a breakthrough year after a follow-up year after last year and that, that failed to happen. And, and Nikola Kalinic, well, m- many didn't expect him out of much out of him uh the hope was that you know he would become a striker worthy of wearing a Milan jersey and and you know just put in some goals and he ended up what, having like five goals this year or something like that something ridiculous that's yeah it's not, not for a, for a top team or a team that you want to say is a top team in Serie A that's not good enough not even near good enough for twenty twenty five million. that's not good enough um, uh uh it, it's quite pathetic really is what it is and it took him to the last game before he actually showed like he had uh, he was interested in. I mean, this guy didn't have any almost like I don't want to say heart, but he, he didn't want to like no energy in the game, no trying to run it. That's why he didn't he didn't play for a couple games because Gattuso said you're not, you're not even trying to play out there. You're not you're not fighting out there. You're not giving it all. There's no engine in you. Uh, so it took him to the final game of the season before he started moving around and and getting involved. So that's yep. a, that's why he's on the team.
2: Yep. Adrian Adrian Stoyan just uh, he he was better last season and you know a lot of talk about Paul these goals for Crotone to help uh, help help rescue their season last season to remain in Serie a, and then uh, you, you know Stoyan had some influence in that as well um, you know but uh, part of a Crotone side that ended up that ended up coming up lacking down the stretch uh, and and finds his way into. Uh, this team. Uh Blair, anybody else that uh, that really stunk that could have been in this team?
0: Um I'll probably go for a couple of interplayers. Um Dalbert I think didn't really play much of it at all. Not sure why. Um they spent quite a bit of money on him last summer I think and he was supposed to be this sort of flying new Roberto Carlos left back and he just didn't didn't contribute. And also uh Candreva, Antonio Kandriva I thought had a really underwhelming season, didn't score a single league goal uh not good enough for an inter winger.
2: Okay, okay. Richard, how about you?
1: Yeah, um, other names you can mention, uh, Danilo for Udinese. I thought he had a pretty poor season this year. Um, I expected a lot more from him. And then also, I want to say uh, Antonio Cariacciolo for uh, Hellas Verona. He was just piss poor, piss poor defense, and he could pick anybody on that defense really and then put them on the team. They were just that bad, giving up goals, so many goals. And when, you know, I think both of us picked Hellas to be one of the teams to – of the promoted teams to survive, and they were far from that. So uh, poor all the way around for Hellas. Uh,
2: For me, Leonardo Pavoletti has got to appreciate the fact that Nikola Kaljanic and uh, Diego (laughs) Colcinelli were terrible this season because he walked into a situation where Bordiolo scored, what, 15 goals the season before. Um, And, you know, a player of his potential should duplicate that. Uh, So, you know, he's one that I think that – You know, certainly could have made it, but should be thankful that Kalyanich and Falcinelli were worse than him. Um, And then goalkeeper, I think, Cordaz somehow got spared, uh, you know, by Bizzotti. Uh, So, uh, you know, those would be two places that I would definitely look. So let's get the – that's the crap. We've got that out of the way. Uh, Let's move on and – let's move on and uh, address the – some of these individual awards. We're going to hand out four of them before we get into our team of the season. And then we're going to get into – uh, two more awards after that. So we're going to start with the best young player, and by young player we mean twenty one and under. Uh, Richard, who was your best young player in Serie A this season?
1: Ooh, there's a lot to choose from. Um, since so we're doing twenty one and under, I am gonna go with Fiorentina Starlet, Federico Chiesa. Uh, he had six goals and five assists this year, which there aren't like overwhelming numbers, but the effect and impacts he had in those games were tremendous. Uh he really became a forefront on the team and, and one of the main focal points uh, as the season went on between him and Gio- Giovanni Simeone, um, especially the, you know this last couple of games, uh, last month or so down the stretch, he was the main guy and and he was hard to get him off the ball. Even in the loss today, five one loss to Milan, uh, he he was impressive on the ball and making these passes. Um, he's if he stays at Fiorentina, I mean hope the hope he, that he does, but um, whatever he decides, he is a talented player and uh, hopefully we see him for many years on the national team. Because he's got the talent not only to, to string passes and make beautiful setup plays, but he can score goals as well. So um, he's, a, he's a charismatic little player and uh, a lot of heart, uh, which is, you can't really say that about Bernadeschi, the former Fiorentina player, but uh, good for uh, Federico Chiesa and hope he keeps continuing to improve.
2: Yeah, I like that shot on Chiesa. He had a nice season, as uh, with a lot of the changeover that Fiorentina had, he certainly had to shoulder some, some of the load. And at a young age, pretty impressive to see him do that. Uh, Blair, who is your best young player this season?
0: I'm going to go with under-21 player of The season is Nicole Barella at Caliway. Um okay. He's shown every time I've watched him play. I think he's he's got the sort of attitude that I think would suit him playing for a big club. You know, he's very, very competitive and highly energetic. And also looking at the statistics, he's he's really, really good. He's in the top 10 in Serie A for, I think, for, for interceptions per game. I think he's right up there in the midfielders for tackles per game. So he's he's had a really strong season, and um, I think it can't be too long until he gets mentioned in the sort of the Italy, the Italy national team, uh, you know, midfield options uh, under Roberto Mancini.
2: I definitely agree with you there, uh, and definitely not a bad shot. But only, especially very early in the season, had some pretty impressive performances for Kyrie. Um I am going to go in a different direction as well, so we're all going to be split. My young player of the season is Cengiz Under of Roma. Um, 26 appearances total between starts and substitute appearances uh, in Serie A, scored seven goals, one assist, Uh, really a spark on that right-hand side for Eusebio Di Francesco's Roma. Um, Didn't really uh, make Roma totally forget about Mohamed Salah, but filled in relatively admirably. Uh, for his age, uh, you know, and helped to keep things going and help Roma work their way to a third-place finish. Um, and uh, that, that, that goal he scored a couple of weeks ago where it just was kind of a little pass into the goal that he knew the goalkeeper wasn't going to see, just uh, uh, just emblematic of the potential that he has, the quality is, he has, and, and, and the smarts that he has on the pitch. Um, Roma have a good one, and I, I sure hope they don't uh, sell him uh, you know, too soon. Uh, really a promising style there in Serie A. So we went with uh, Richard. Oh, you had Chiesa. Fiorico Chiesa, Fiorentina. Um, Blair went with Nicolo Barrera of Cagliari. I went with Chenjis Undere of Roma as our young players of the year. All right. Uh, let's go on to the most – let's go on to the best signing. Um, and this could be, you know, a, a signing before August. Uh, or be in the summer Mercato or in the January Mercato? Uh, Blair, who was the best signing for you this season?
0: For me, um, it was Blase Matuidi at Juventus. Um, not maybe the obvious choice. Um, I quite like being different, you know, so I'm going to go with him. Uh, the reason I'm going to go with him is because every time I watched Juventus play with him in the midfield, they looked sort of like a completely different side than, than when they didn't have him in the midfield. You know, he brought um he brought a lot of energy, he's really good pressing and stuff like that, and he's really important in the Champions League games. Um so yeah, you, you know, thirty one year old and, and perhaps considered past his best and they paid a good amount of money for him, but I think it's a classic Juventus sign in in that they brought somebody in who, you know, perhaps was sort of under underappreciated at his old club and uh and managed to work him into midfield just like they did with Sami Kadira.
2: That's an interesting that's a very interesting shout. In eye. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I I like it and 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 on the we get weird on the A sit down so don't worry. Um, I appreciate that. Yeah, don't worry. Uh, we like the pick. Uh, I was going with Kalinich,
0: so I, work, I kept it. I
2: thought it'd be a bit more pragmatic. <laughs> well, g- glad you came to your senses <laughs> so at least a little bit. So, uh, Richard, who was your who, who who do you think was the best signing this season?
1: Uh, I was torn between two defenders, uh, but I think the one I ultimately went with, and who I'm going with, is Alexander Kolarov from Roma, uh, left back. Uh, yeah, he's he's up getting up there in age, but I mean what he's done to that Roma defense and the team in general. I mean he provided two goals and eight assists, but he was just so key with his set pieces, uh, his command. I mean he, he was he didn't seem like he was ruffled by any 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 situation. And uh, Champions League, he provided also another goal and assist. Uh, a goal and three assists. Uh, he was so big for them in Champions League, especially because he's been there before. This, you know, this, this is nothing new for him. He was able to calm the guys down and keep their heads down. I think he's a big reason why they got so far in, in the Champions League. Yeah, they have a great team. They got Alisson. They got uh, Di with the tactics. But Kolarov, I mean, he's been there before. He could tell the guys, okay, I've been in this situation before. This is what, we can, this is what we're going to expect. This is how we're going to you know move on and get past this. Um, same thing with the league. I mean, nothing ruffled this guy's, this guy's feathers in uh, – I mean this guy is a, is a demeanor of cool and angry cool he's like an angry what what is he uh Bulgarian or something what is he again uh Serbian Serbian, Serbian yeah he he looks like he's an angry Serbian but he, it just the first uh, first day when he signed for Roma they like made some joke on it on uh, on AS Roma English website and he didn't like joke at all it, it was great that's ex- exactly what you think of him because he's just he's right to the point gets things done uh, and I think he was just a huge, huge signing. What oh, it was for like five, six million or something, something crazy. That yeah. Yeah. was uh, yeah. A, a steal. Um, so I mean, compared to like the thirty-eight million that Milan paid for paid for Bonucci, uh, six million was a freaking a, a robbery, really. So uh, Kolarov for me was signing of the year.
2: Okay, I'm going to get uh, I'm going to get a little weird here. Well, I'm not going to get terribly weird. Uh, but uh, I'm going to go to Atalanta there, Blair. I'm gonna. There you go, Blair. Here you know where I'm going. I'm gonna go to gonna go to Josip, Josip Ilicic. Um, yeah, another steal. Yeah, just a complete steal and uh, really uh, instrumental, very instrumental in terms of Atalanta's, um, uh, you know, push to get back into seventh place. You know, balancing between Serie A and Europa League, where Europa League was certainly the priority. You know, they did have their struggles, but once Europa League was said and done, they kicked on, and Ilicic was a big part of that. Um, And they got him for pennies, uh, you know, from Fiorentina. So, uh, and and what he contributed in 31 appearances, 11 goals, 8 assists uh, in Serie A, uh, 6 appearances in Europa League, 4 goals, 2 assists. That's a hell of a return for what they paid for him. Uh, Took a lot of the pressure off of uh, Papu Gomez. um, And, uh, you know, the Slovenian really delivered here. Uh, another one that you can get weird on, guys. And uh, what do you think of Lucas Leva of Lazio? I had him on my short Did shortlist. He, Did you? I, yeah. Blair and I are thinking alike here, Richard. Where, where you're, you're, where are you? You're, you're not with us here.
1: How <laughs> you know he wasn't on my short list? He wasn't okay. on my short list, but he's on my long list. He was on my <laughs> long list. No, you know they lost Belia, and not not much is expected of him when they signed him, and he he was just rock solid for them and the and the midfield there uh they weren't missing billia at all
2: yeah and i'm going to guess the other defender you were looking at was skriniar right nailed it okay there you go so i mean you can't complain about any, you can't go wrong with any of these you know i mean we any of these five i mean we made Le- lucas and and uh skriniar honorable mentions but Matuidi, uh kolorov are our choices and then we wanted to give shots to lucas leva uh, and to Milan Skriniar because they were certainly contributors to their team as well. Um, so uh, those were our shouts for the best signing. Now on to the goal of the season. Uh, I'm going to start with this one. And uh, I already said the goal of the season happened on match week two um, on Andrea Belotti's flying side volley where he got above I – mean, I can't even remember the defender from Sassuolo. Um, but he basically got above that defender's shoulder shoulder sideways uh to strike that ball and put it on uh, and put it on goal. Um that was the goal of the season. I said it then on match week 2 and I was playing the role of Pirlo is not impressed with all the rest of the goals that got scored the rest of the season <laughs> even though there were some damn good ones. Um Richard your goal of the season.
1: I'm with you. Uh I agree the Bellotti goal was amazing. Uh the pass by Silvestri to get in there and then I mean this one motion this side volley uh, nearly upside down when he scored that uh, I was with you there when he said that when, when he scored that uh, unreal goal, and there were, while there were magical goals throughout the year, that was the best of the best. So uh, I wanted to pick another one just for for variation's sake, but I couldn't. That goal was that good.
2: No. Blair, is this unanimous, or are you gonna get? Or are you going in a different direction? Uh,
0: I, well, it's hard to disagree with that one. I, I've gone for the one I've gone for is Pandev uh, against Baruna. Um, yes, you guys remember the the chip? It's a yep. really glorious chip. Um, just classic Pandev. Um, but, yeah, I mean, no, happy to make it unanimous with the Blotti one because that was a stunning goal as well.
2: Yep, yep, absolutely. Um, but no problem with that Pandav goal, too. That was special. Um, so those were our goals of the season. Goal, well, goal of the season. It was relatively unanimous with, you know, you know Pandav. Uh, let's say Blair splitting his vote <laughs> between uh, Blotti and Pandav there. So um, moving on, uh, the most improved player, the player that from last season to this season, you know, really caught your attention and said, "Hey, this guy, this guy stepped up." Uh, Richard, we'll start with you.
1: I'm going to go with Luis Alberto just because he was pretty much a no-name person that no one really knew about him last year, and and this year, what a magical year! I think he ended up having like 11 goals, 14 assists in the in the league, and then I think it was another goal and five assists in in Europa League. Uh, you know, they thought with you know Kate missing, um, Kate Balde with uh, Felipe Anderson. Out of the picture at the beginning of the season, we weren't sure you know where Lazio sure were to get his performances from you know to help uh, feed uh, Immobile the beast that he, that he is. And Luis Alberto stepped up and he was just a phenomenal player throughout most of the year. Um, we didn't we didn't see a he's even got a, I think he may even got a call up to the Spanish national team. I could be incorrect on that one, but um, what a season he had! Uh, he was so instrumental in the games, his free kicks, his his passing, and his scoring. I mean, this guy was just. Uh, from from last year, relatively unknown, to this year uh, one of the best players in Serie A.
2: Okay, that's not a bad shout at Al. Uh, excellent season from Luis Alberto, and we're going to be talking about him a little bit later. I already, it's already spoiled one of our team in the season picks. Uh, Blair, uh, for you, the most improved player? Um,
0: I think Luis Alberto is, is difficult to disagree with, to be honest, Frank. Uh, I'm going to go with Richard. Yep. I'm going to go with Luis Alberto. I mean, you know, last season, to give a bit of context, he made four four league starts, um, five sub appearances. He was just nowhere near the team. I think, you know, people probably even in Italian football would have forgotten he even existed. You know I mean, he was just not even on the radar at Lazio. And this season, he's he's been one of the best players in, in the league, and he's been getting linked to Barcelona. He's been I think he's been linked to with a return to Liverpool, I think, uh, where he was let go of. And also, he's, he's received this first Spain cap, So, it's just a massive improvement. And he, he attributes it to hiring a mental coach. Um I'm not quite sure what that is, but he, he hired one of them last January. And uh, it seems to have had an effect. He's done brilliantly. I'm going to give a shout-out, though, if I can, to uh, to Ila Church, who you mentioned before. um Because I think he's had his most consistent season to date. And I'm also going to mention Chalonolu at Milan, Hakan Chalonolu, because I think he's yeah. gone from... A pretty innocuous start where he looked sluggish and, you know, not disinterested, but this didn't really do anything, to this being an assist and chance-creating machines towards the end. And I think he's all geared up for a big season next year.
2: Yeah, I I, I, I am with you there on Chalinolu. And I'm going to make it anonymous uh, on Luis Alberto, easily the most improved player uh, in Serie A this season, and very, very instrumental to Lazio uh, sustaining um, uh, their position among the top teams in Serie A. When you uh, you, you lose Kate Balde, you lose uh, Lucas Levo, you got to turn to somebody, uh, and you might as well go to um, uh, a player like Luis Alberto. And, uh, you know, if he doesn't have any use for that uh, mental coach, I could, I could certainly use one. So, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, uh I was, I was gonna
0: say look. you should be you should be Nikola Kalinic's mental coach fan. <laughs> <laughs> Given that you spurred him on earlier on today. I think you could just you know, you could you could have a job there.
2: I've been spurring him on all season and it hasn't worked. It finally worked today. <laughs> <laughs> uh I I do want to give one all, honorable mention. Um Iago Falcon. Um and mm-hmm. fine, he scored yeah, the yeah. same I think I think he scored the same number of goals this season as last season in up, but with Andrea Belotti in and out of the lineup very, very much this season through injuries, Yago Falcao's goals this season were much more meaningful, and I think his contributions were much more noticeable this season than they were last season. You know, where he was in the shadow of, uh, you know, of, of Belotti, uh, uh, you know, mainly, uh, and then also part of a Torino team that gave up so many goals. But uh, you know, he played a very influential role in allowing Torino to uh, secure a top half, top half finish. Um, you know, so I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't fight anyone if they want to put Iago Falke in that conversation. And Ilicic is another good shot. But, yeah, uh, I I think that certainly Luis Alberto has been uh, the most improved player in Serie A this season. Uh, No doubt about it. So um, we're going to get back to the – we'll have two more individual awards to go through here. But this is the time where we're going to get into the Serie A sit-down team of the season. Uh, And uh, a lot of conversation between the three of us uh, over the weekend trying to uh, pick this team – and we came up with a lot of names, and we're going to get to talk about the snubs uh, most certainly. Um, but uh, this is who we picked. Uh, it is a 4-4-2, and we're going to start with the goalkeeper. Our, and thus, our goalkeeper of the season is Alisson of Roma. Blair, we could have done the parting gift for Gianluigi Buffon, because when you, you, when you look at it, um, I think he had like 11 clean sheets and 18 full 90-minute starts. To set the game aside yesterday. Pinsolio conceded the goal. Um, but, you know, Alisson sustained it over the entire season. Uh, so he cements his place here. A little comment about Alisson's season.
0: Just a, a great season. Obviously, Chesney left Roma for Juventus uh, at the end of last season. And Alisson was the sort of the European, I think, the backup keeper for Chesney. And, and uh, you know, nobody saw him being as good as he was this season, I don't think. He looked solid last year, but this season he's been outstanding. And, all of a sudden it makes sense that he's Brazil's number one ahead of Edison at Man City.
2: Indeed. Indeed. He's, been, he's, he's certainly been terrific. Um, and really hard to find any other goalkeeper that we could put in this spot. Uh, you know, Sturkoja was off to a pretty good start at the beginning of the season, but then Lazio were just leaking goals, and certainly when you're part of that, uh, it does reflect on you. Um, you could say Salvatore Sirigu for the simple fact that Torino were much better defensively this season, and I think the combination of him and Nicholas and Colu had a lot to do with that, uh, but Alisson came up with some massive saves as well to help preserve some wins and some points to keep Roma in the Champions League places for next season. So, uh, so hard to really find anybody else that could take that spot. Moving over to right back, and this was a wide open debate. Uh, and if you guys want Ademarosic of Lazio, or if you want Joao Cancelo of Inter, I don't think you're going to get a, a fight from people. Uh, I think Blair, you 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 mentioned Hattabur from uh, Atalanta, mm. but uh, our choice for right back is Lorenzo Di Silvestri of Torino. And I think what we ended up doing here, Richard, is out of those four, who was most important to their team? And it was Di Silvestri.
1: Yeah, it really was. Um, what he contributed both defensively and offensively for his team was uh, immense. And they really had no one else besides him. Had he gone down with injury, then they were just shit out of shit out of luck. Uh, he provided, from his right back position, you know, provided five goals, four assists in the league, another two goals in the Coppa Italia. Um, but his passing, his, uh, his calmness in defense, uh, making big plays to, um, all sides of the pitch, um, he set up a lot of the goals. Uh, yeah, he only had four assists, but I mean, he, key passes that led to, led to goals, you know, passes to Adam Lajic or, or Iago Falke, um, or balotti. Uh, his plays, his sudden, his starting the whole thing really got things going. And he's just, uh, Without him, I think Torino would have been really struggling a lot. Um, yeah, they had enkolu and so they had to go back there too, but um, Di Silvestri was a big part of that defense and that team. The reason why they were more as successful as they were this year. Um, so that's why he's in it.
2: Indeed, um, Blair. Some of these other names we mentioned, they're very, they're very, very deserving, uh, you know, as well. And I uh, know, you know, just uh, you know, a quick comment on some of the names that I ran off: hatibor Marusic, and Cancelo.
0: Yeah, well, uh, Cancelo sort of really grew into the season as he went on, didn't he? Um, really established himself at right back after I think they started with Dambrosio into that right back. Um, Hattipour, I'm I'm a big fan of. He's just a very hard working guy. He gets up and down the flank really well, perfect for Atalanta. And uh, Maricic was yeah another really good signing by Agliatari over at Lazio. Don't know where he found him from. Um, I think he was a winger before, and he's just turned into a really good wing back for Lazio. So. Well done, uh, well done, Iguitali, for finding him.
2: Yep, yep. Can't go wrong with any of those guys. Uh, Di D- D- Silvestri just edges out in front of the others as the, you know, the player that might have been the most important to his team out of the four. Uh, we go to the centre-backs, and the first we're going to talk about is Milan Skriniar of Inter. Blair, he had a lock in this spot pretty much all season.
0: Yep, yeah, he was he was so integral to Inter. I think the last time I was on with you guys, we talked about Skriniar and his, and his impact to Inter. And, I was just uh, I think I've waxed lyrical about his his ability and possession. You know, he's a classic modern centre back and that's why he's been linked with with Man City and and what have you since he joined Inter, you know, and 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 what a rise as well, because before last season, again, he was one of those players I don't think many people really had heard of, even within Italian football. And he just had an amazing year with Sampdoria and he's followed up with Inter. Top centre back.
2: Definitely, and one that can do a little bit of everything. Uh, Yeah. Scores goals, uh, passes. has had some assists this season. Uh, you know, good vision on the ball, comfortable on the ball, and then also yep. does the does the does the dirty work you need from a center back. So, uh, you know, certainly a, a very influential in terms of uh, um, helping Inter get to that Champions League place. Uh, the other center back, we go we're going with Kalidou Koulibaly of Napoli. Do um, you want to know why Napoli have the well, what ended up being the third-best defensive record in Syria, A, Khalidou Koulibaly is a big, big reason why. Um, you know, still still in the habit of taking the best striker and taking the best strikers in Syria and making them non-factors in the game, as he did with Mono Riccardi twice. Um, you know, he let Higuain get away from him a little bit in the first game, but he corrected that mistake in the second game with, with him and Hubei strikers. Um, uh, and... Uh, uh, you know, overall steps up against big strikers. And I'm going to give a hot take here. Uh, the Calcio consultant will come out with a blog uh, with a very unbiased uh, prediction of how the World Cup's going to go from start to finishing, that Italy or the and the United States are not in it. I think he's a big reason why Senegal have a great chance out of getting out of that group because, yeah, Colombia and Poland are in there, but he is not going to be afraid of going up against Lewandowski of Poland. He's not going to be afraid of going up uh, against Falcao of Colombia. Uh, it's because he sees good strikers, uh, very good strikers week in and week out in Serie A with some of the teams that, uh, Napoli had to tussle with for the title. A big, big reason, uh, why the parts were much, much better defensively this season, uh, and earned his place, uh, in the team of the season. Uh, moving over to left back, Richard, it is Alexander Kolorov, uh, who you mentioned was the signing of the season from Roma. Um, really hard to find you we can talk about you know we we'll, we we'll t- we can talk about Diego Luxalt is he a, is he a is he really a left back is he a left midfielder left winger but uh Kolorov, uh started in this position and he pretty much locked it all season
1: yeah he just brought stability to that defense um and, and experience which you can't understate uh yeah I, I read all the all the stats that he earlier on when i said he's the best signing but I mean his stability and experience, with what he brought to that team, he helped solidify that defense, uh, and it helps him. It helped him immensely in Champions League. Again, that's why I said they got so far as they did because he's a big part of that. Uh, he had, he's been there before, so he know what to he know what he was expecting to see, and he can let the guys know on it and how they can overcome that. So, um, you know, experience is something you can't you can't buy all the time, and this is it was a steal they got with him and uh it was undoubtedly he was a pick of, of you know had sandro had a good year this year maybe you could have thrown his name in there but he did not uh last year he was like the lock for us but uh off this year he was that he was that, that damn good really and uh um uh, there's no other person I could think that could uh, replace him
2: absolutely and blair diego excelsault for genoa um you know, Mattia Perrin obviously was very good in goal, uh, you know, down the stretch under Davide Balladini's system, but Laxalt was pretty influential too.
0: Yeah, I mean, d- just as ever, really, he's been influential, I think, for the last three or four seasons at Genoa, hasn't he? Yeah. Uh, I think uh, you mentioned Koulibaly at the World Cup with Senegal and Laxalt, some of those players from Serie A, that I think is going to make a, an equally big impact, potentially, uh, at the World Cup with with, with Uruguay this summer.
2: Mm-hmm. Love, I actually love Uruguay. I, I think they're going to be they're in a group that they're going to win and I, I think they can beat whoever. And I think they would draw either whoever loses between Spain and Portugal. And I think they'll, I I think they've got the goods to beat whoever, uh, whoever uh, is the loser of that game. So, um, but uh, you know, certainly we'll see what happens now, as far as goalkeeper and defense, the best defense again, this season was Juventus, but none of the players made it. And it's really simple guys. I mean, goalkeeper was a rotation between Buffon and Chesney and the defenders were rotated. Um, You know, it was Licksteiner and Decilio on the right and a little bit of Juan Cuadrado even. And then the center backs were, were rotated. You know, you could probably have made a case for Mehdi Benatia uh, to be in this spot here at center back. You probably could have made a case for Chiellini. You know, Rugani was mixed in there. Baisali was mixed in there. And then you had Alexandro and Cuadro Asamo. Awesome, pretty impressive, Blair, that, that Max Allegri did this with a rotation with a multitude of guys that just bought into the tactics uh, rather than just picking... Because typically when you see that kind of same defensive record, it's usually the same goalkeeper in back four.
0: Yeah, no, it's true. It's true. I think, um, you know, people have leveled Allegri. He doesn't have a clear philosophy. He doesn't have a clear style of play. Well, he also doesn't have a a clear back line. And it doesn't matter because he still gets them to get results. So I think what we found out this season is that, you know, you can give Allegri, you know, whatever squad-wise. And he's going to make them better. He's just going to make them a, a functioning unit. Um, but like you say, I mean, Benacci and Chiellini, they were rotated and out. I don't think there was too much doubt that they were the best, uh, the best options that you, they had. And whenever they were fit and on form, that was, that was some center back pairing.
2: Yep, agreed. Richard Manolas gets the fanfare for, for that goal against Barcelona in the champions league. But, uh, we saw a lot of improvement out of Federico Fazio, uh, as well. Another guy that we probably could have considered for the center backs.
1: Yeah. Uh, definitely everyone coming into the season we thought Manolas was going to be the guy who was going to take the reins but Fazio this uh he grew with leaps and bounds this year and uh he he became a really uh, a solid force for them defensively and uh, uh out of the two there for Roma he was the most consistent of the of the of the group and uh really on the bigger games he's the one who stepped up at least in Serie A for sure Manolas obviously had the big goal against Barcelona but um throughout the season Fazio was was the better of the two uh, and and definitely a worthy name to give given a shout out.
2: Yep, definitely. Now let's move into the midfield, and uh, we're going to go to Napoli, and Allen uh, gets into the team. Um, Richard Allen is a big part of why Napoli are able to, you know, play a pressing game uh, when they don't have the ball. Um, you know, which when you look at how what they do with the ball, what they do defensively, goes very underrated. Uh, and goes sometimes even unnoticed and Allen is a big part of that.
1: He is the engine guy for that team. Uh that team doesn't run without him. They need him to, you know, press on defense, press on offense, uh get get those dirty plays, get the balls, uh set up his teammates. Um, he ended, he ended up scoring I think four goals and five assists this year, but that's not really what his job was. His job was to be the the engine guy and and get all the loose balls and work tirelessly for 90 minutes I mean, He played in all 38 games, didn't start all of them. Uh, I think he started like maybe 30 of them, 32 of them. But yep. um, great engine in that guy, and uh, he—it's so—he—he's actually gotten better since he was last year. I thought he had a good season last year. Uh, he was on several of our teams of the seasons, but um, overall, I think he, this year he's just gotten better. And uh, pairing with him and Jorginho, they really complement each other very well. And again, it's it, his tireless effort—it's what's gotten on this team. Uh, the work he's put in—he made—he made that team able to click as well as they did because he was at link from defense to offense.
2: I'll go and watch that first game against Manchester City at the Etihad to see how valuable Allen is to Napoli, um, because they didn't start him and Napoli looked overwhelmed. And then finally they made uh, second half. He brought he got he was brought on, and the dynamic just totally changed. And Absolutely. Napoli ended up losing the match two one, but certainly had their chances to tie that to to draw that match. So. Um, the other midfielder uh, is Sergei Milinkovic Savic of Lazio. Blair, we talk about some of the departures from Lazio. Milinkovic Savic stepped up to the point where uh, I think Claudio Lotito, unfortunately for us Serie A fans, uh, is getting ready to step in and make a lot of money this summer.
0: Mm, well, yeah, I mean you mentioned it's unfortunate for us Serie A fans. I was going to say the same thing because he is—he's a, a league-wide superstar now, isn't he? He reminds me a bit of. Uh, Pogba towards the end at Juventus in in the way that he plays, um, you know he likes to cut in from that left hand side of midfield and you know onto his favoured right foot. He's he's very creative. He's got an incredible touch. I mean just an unbelievable touch in terms of bringing the ball down, controlling it, and you know he's, he's quite a tricky player as well for a big guy. So it's um, it, it'll be a big loss, not just for Lazio but for Serie A. He's a player I think we'll all miss watching week in week out. And um, and really, uh, I think you know it, we go back to what I said earlier about replacing your best players. I think even you know no matter how much money you'll get in, I think it's going to be really really difficult for for them to replace him because there aren't many midfielders in the world that are better.
2: No, no, I I definitely agree with that. And uh, um, yeah, just uh, one of the, one of the more dynamic midfield players I've seen come along, uh, you know, in recent years. Mm. Um, you know, and uh, it's going to be awfully hard for Lazio to hang on to him. I think the dollar amounts are going to be very, very attractive. Uh, you know, one of the big boys are going to be coming in to sweep him up. Um, so uh, let's move on. We have two wingers that we picked. And uh, Richard, we're going to start with Douglas Costa of Juventus. Juventus are not, you might even argue, Juventus may not be champions without him. Yeah, as deep as Juventus are, the, the contributions that the Brazilian made down the stretch uh, were very, very valuable to the old lady.
1: He was arguably their best player going down the stretch. Probably from January on, um, he kept getting better and better. It finally it seemed like he finally got acclimated to the league, and he his performances showed. I mean, put him on the wing, and he just started taking guys on one on one, creating havoc. Uh, same thing in Champions League, he was doing the same thing. Um, he caused havoc for Real Madrid uh, in that in that tie. Uh, like I said, he's he's always been a player that you know he had the talent, but just never could put things together. And it, it it seems now he's finally clicking with Juventus. He Maybe he's found a place that, uh, that that he belongs at. Um, just the work that he's been he's been the most consistent player for Juventus. You could have picked other Juventus players on this team, but uh, Douglas Costa has been the most consistent, and he's been like the X factor for them. He's been that that spark that they needed at times. Um, with his speed, I mean, this guy. Is anybody faster than this guy? This guy. This guy's lightning quick, and then he's got mm-hmm. that shot also. He he likes to go on his left foot, or I think it's his left foot, uh, from the right wing, and, and he whips in those shots. So uh, he's got a decent shot as well, and he likes to set up plays. So uh, he, he's a tremendous player, and it's, it seems maybe he's finally getting to his potential. Where so many years we thought, you know, with Bayern and even when he got to Juventus, that we thought he had, he just couldn't quite live up to the building He's finally starting to live up to the billing, I think.
2: Yep, absolutely. Um... Blair we could have put Jose Callejon here if uh, Douglas Costa didn't emerge we could have put Josep Ilicic here we could, there's a lot of good wingers still a lot of good wide players in Serie a. I, I just I, I gave a couple of examples Chalhanolo you mentioned a little earlier uh, but but Douglas Costa certainly was uh, was a big big part of uh, Juventus's you know run to overtake top spot and hang on to it for the rest of the season
0: he certainly was and um, you know Richard mentions his, his pace his ability to cut in onto the left hand onto the, onto his left foot and He just gave them something different. You know, I think over the last few years, as good as they've been, they've been crying out for for natural wingers, you know, guys who can, you know, get them, you know, if you isolate them one-on-one, they can take on their man, beat them, eliminate them and and get a cross in or get a shot off or combine. Costa's provided that. I think they were expecting a bit more from Bernadeschi, but to be honest, it didn't matter because Costa was, was so good, especially towards the end of the season.
2: Agreed. Agreed. And the other winger is Luis Alberto of Lazio, who we have talked about in detail as the most improved player. Just, uh, uh, a big part of of why uh, Lazio were so successful, and you could even argue that you know when he, uh, you know when he suffered when he was not available here against Inter that some of his influence was missed. Albeit Felipe Anderson performed really well in that game, um, but uh, the scoring, the the goals, the assists, uh, you know his his role in set pieces, um, in, extremely valuable to Lazio in their run that just fell short of uh, Champions League football. Uh, you know, and, and for all of us, the most improved player of the season to a point where he makes the team of the season, uh, you know, certainly a talent. Now, this is one that I do hope Lotito is able to, I mean, I I, I think Sergei's gone somehow. Hopefully he hopes up, he holds on to Luis Alberto. That remains to be seen. Um, and we have two strikers, and I'm just going to n- end this suspense for everybody. It's the two that finished tied for Capo Canegneri this season. Um, we will start with Moro Icardi of Inter. Uh, Blair, uh, Inter as a team much better than they were last season, uh, but still, you know, they needed his twenty nine goals, didn't they?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think he's, you know, he's he's still the the focal point of Inter's attack, isn't he? Because um, you know, when you've got one of your wingers, Antonio Candreva, not scoring any goals, I think it, it goes without saying, you need a centre forward who can get a load and load of goals and Icardi Icardi managed to do that again this season. Um, I think he's, the thing about Icardi, I mean, uh, we can talk about his goals and and it's such a massive part of his game, but I actually think he's underrated in terms of what he brings to the team, you know, in terms of his work rate off the ball, you know, his movement off the ball, his defensive work ethic, I think he's still actually really good. You know, he's quite involved in pressing and stuff. So he's actually, you know, he gets this, I think he's he's seen as a bit of a prima donna outside of Italy, but I think those of us who watch him week in, week out know that he's, He's a real team player, and, you know, uh, I think if Inter can get good service to him, good support to him next season, then, then yeah, you know, they, they could make a push for the title.
2: Uh, agreed. You know, another one, I mean, there was talk about there was talk about transferring to Real Madrid, there's talk about some of this other stuff, but, you know, can Inter hang on to him? Um, you know, certainly uh, influential again, and what's interesting is that, uh, you know, certainly Icardi and Chido Immobile, who I'm about to talk about here, uh, of Lazio, 29 goals, Moro Icardi had one more goal in the run of play. So if people think, well, he had a lot of penalties, he really didn't have that many. Uh, I think he had six, including the one today against uh, Lazio. Um, uh, so he had 23 goals in the run of play where Chiro Immobile had 22. Um, you know, So in that sense, if you want to break the tie and say, well, who's, who's scoring without the penalties? Well, then there you go. Um, but Chiro Immobile does take up the other striker position. Um, 29 goals and uh, an interesting st- st- statistic that I saw guys coming into this game. And, you know, we had the injury where he was out here for a couple of games. Um, he averaged a goal every 90 minutes and that's not a goal per game. You know, you take the total number of minutes he's played this season in Serie A and you, you divide the number of goals into that. It, it comes out to one goal every 90 minutes. Uh, Richard and I had talked about the Chiri Immobile tracker and we thought that he was going to be on pace uh, you know, to break Iguain's record this season, and he certainly was, uh, you know, very early. Uh, but this guy, this man scored goals in bunches, and certainly he had a very nice supporting cast. And we talked about players like uh, Milinkovic, Savic, Luis Alberto, Marusic, uh, you know, Jordan Lukaku on the left side, Lulic, Lucas Leva had had some key assists Felipe uh, Anderson. in the middle of the park. Felipe Anderson, once he got healthy and got his legs back under him, so he got plenty of service. But, Look at the strikers at AC Milan. They get tons of service. Akan Chalano, Chalhanalu, Bonaventura from the midfield, Suzo from the left. Um, you know the occasional service from Ricardo Rodriguez. I would have liked to have seen him get forward more this season. And what did what did Milan strikers do? You know, Immobile finishes his chances um, and and uh, you know finishes in a tie with the Icardi for the capo Cananieri, uh As a result. Um, and you would argue if he did not sustain this injury late in the season, he probably would have finished on somewhere around 30 to 31 goals. It's not far fetched to say, uh, you know, it's not that he, <laughs> he, 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 had he been fit for Clotoni, he would have scored. So, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's pretty much that simple. So, uh, but nonetheless, it's a tie for the Cabo Caninieri race and both Icardi and Ciro Immobile, uh, earn our place uh, in, in earn their place in the team of the season. So that's our 11 again we'll run it by uh, in goal Alisson, a back four of Lorenzo Di Silvestri, Milan Skriniar, Kalidou Koulibaly and Alexander Kolarov. Uh, center midfielders Alan and Sergej Milinkovic-Savic, wingers Douglas Costa and Luis Alberto, strikers Moro Icardi and Chiro Imoble. Darn good team that. Um, but when you pick an 11, you've got to you, you you some people make some people get left on the table uh richard uh some snubs that you want to give some special uh honorable mention to
1: yeah yeah um old man fabio Quagliarella had a fantastic season he ended up with 19 goals this yep. year uh fantastic for Santori, even though they struggled <coughs> when he struggled the team struggled and he unfortunately he struggled for a long time in the season but he, he had a great season brian cristante great season as well for uh for atalanta former milan player uh, he was just he got better and better throughout the season and he became one of the better better players on that team, um, setting up goals uh, getting goals himself uh, he just became a really complete player and then lastly, I want to give a shout out to Chalhanalu, really because milan wouldn 't be where they 're at without him. I think his performances throughout the season got better, and he really carried the team with his assists and even the timely goals um, without without those, I think Milan would not be looking at Europa League next year.
2: Yeah, in fact, Blair, I tweeted out after Chalhanalu scored um, his free kick today. I said, without Chalhanalu, Milan would probably finish about 12th this season. Mm-hmm. Um, any other snubs for you? I think
0: uh, Richard mentioned Cristante. Um, I'm going to give him another mention as well, because he was just so influential for Atalanta. Um, just a really unique player as well. You know, He plays almost like a number 10 at times, but not your traditional number 10. Um, Alejandro Gomez, I think another Atalanta player that... You know he had such a great season last season. We maybe took our eye off him this season, but he was really good again. And I'm also going to give a shout out to Jorginho at Napoli because I think he yep. was really crucial to them in in his in his normal number number six role in midfield.
2: Um, I mentioned Jose Callejon earlier. I think he had a better season this year than he did last season. Um, you know, things got a little more balanced with how Napoli were. You know, Merton's had a monopoly on the goals this season. You saw it get a little bit more balanced with Napoli. Certainly, Mertens had a had a nice season goal wise, but Calihan contributed with goals and assists, um, you know, and, and and almost made it here. And we had Cristante in and out of this team, you know, trying to figure out where we would fit. And we just couldn't pit it. We we just couldn't find a room for him. Mentioned Chalhanalu, um, and uh, you know, I'm going to get a little weird on you guys here. Uh, I, I'm going to give a shout out to uh, Jordan Veratu of Fiorentina. Mm. Uh, you know, Richard, Richard, you made the you made the comment about. Um, uh, Federico Chiesa earlier this season but you know, Veritu, dead ball specialist and doing some of the things that he did I think was a big help in Fiorentina going on a really special run you know, after the untimely passing of Davide Astori, where Fiorentina nearly found their way into a Europa League place so, um, and he had certainly uh, had some influence uh, you know, in that run so um, so that's our team of the season and uh, if you're listening you can comment at Serie A sit down on Twitter or Instagram with who you think deserved to be in over who we picked um, two more awards to hand out, and these are the prestigious awards, and we're going ha- to start with the Serie A sit-down manager of the season. Richard, who is your Serie A manager of the season?
1: I am going with the hipster pick with Giampiero Gasparini. Uh, the work he did with Atalanta, you know, not only going far in Europa League, they they, they nearly got – they nearly, you know, moved on further than what they finished. But they, they're in a the knockout, stages just for, for Christ's sake. And then also um, what he did in, in after, you know, getting knocked out and being Serie A, the team looked like they were lost in, in mid-table obscurity, and they got back into the Europa League and then finally got that last place in uh, Great job by him. Every year it seems like his best players get taken and he just reproduces new guys. I mean, they have probably how many center backs that can play, you know, start for them. They have so many guys and they all know how to score goals, it seems like. So um, great work by him. And, and, you know, the fans of Atalanta obviously showed their appreciation for him uh, last week when they gave him a big uh, TIFO for him. So uh, that's my pick of manager of the season.
2: That's an excellent shout. Uh, Blair, your manager of the season is?
0: i would be with Richard. I'm going to go with Gasparini. Um, perhaps not a surprise to those who know me, um, but I think uh, he's done an incredible job, um, sort of keeping things going. You know, it's not easy to do that with a club like Atalanta when your best talent keeps sort of moving on, and uh, you know he keeps bringing through young players like Moussa Barrow towards the end of the season. 19-year-old Gambian striker given his chance and scoring goals, and uh, and you know, I look forward to watching him in the Europa League next season. We're very unfortunate actually to lose to Dortmund. This season they could easily have got yeah. to the last 16 and if they'd done that who knows how far they would have they would have gone afterwards so um, I think I'm going to give a shout out to Maurizio Sarri because I think he's had I mean it's, an, it's a historic Serie A season with Napoli but um, the one thing that I have to take away from him is the fact that he didn't change it when he needed to and, and that ultimately I think was what cost Napoli a historic title
2: uh, I agree with that you guys twisted my arm. I'm going to go unanimous with Gasparini. Um, yeah. There you go. Yeah. I. You know, the, the more you think about it, the more it makes sense, uh, you know, to, to to have the season they had last season, finish fourth and grab a Europa League place, and to turn around, like you said, near, you know, nearly qualify for the last 16. That ha- that that goes away from them. They're languishing in mid-table when that happens, and they go on a charge to uh, get seventh and qualify for the, uh, you know, the playoff stages. Of the Europa League for next season, they were able to sustain it. Sassuolo was in this spot a season ago and didn't, um, you know, under Di Francesco. But I will give honorable mention to Stefano Pioli. He was who I was really angling for, and it would have, if he would have found a way to get Fiorentina into these Europa League places, he would have been my slam dunk pick. Mm-hmm. Uh, going from the start of the season with the massive turnover of players leaving the club, uh, with you know, talk about the della Valle family possibly selling the club bringing in new players and, and having to patch it together. Yes, it was going to be rough, you know, in the in the early days of the season. And then, obviously, with the passing of the captain, Davide Astori, to rally this team, you know, to an eighth-place finish, to be three points off of getting into that Europa League playoff position of seventh. Um, a very admirable effort from uh, Stefano Pioli, uh, you know, to get, to get Fiorentina to this spot. Even though we kind of thought that this was going to be the path that Fiorentina... Uh, was going to be on from the you know from the start to the end of the season uh, we didn 't think that there were going to be all of these uh you know adversities thrown in so uh so definitely a uh, a, a shout out to Pioli for me for honorable mention um, in terms of uh, uh in terms of uh what uh, Fiorentina accomplished this season they can certainly have their heads held high considering everything so um <laughs> And uh, moving on to the player of the season, the Serie A sit-down player of the season. Let's see if we're unanimous here or if we all have different ideas. So, Blair, we're going to start with you. Who is your player of the season?
0: Uh, I'm going to go with my player of the season is the same as my most improved player. Um, I think Luis Alberto uh, just nixed it on account of his his ability to create chances and take chances. Um, I think he was just, he, he's sort of irreplaceable for Lazio. I think when, when they brought Felipe Anderson in towards the end, to cover for him, it was uh, a different dynamic. You know, he's very fast, but he just doesn't bring the sort of intelligence um, that Alberto brings, you know, finding spaces and, and combining with teammates and playing uh, Chiro Immobile through. I mean, Immobile makes these glorious runs in behind the back line, but Alberto is is incredibly consistent at finding And So yep. I'm going to go with Luis Alberto for player of the season.
2: Okay. I like that sh- I like that shout a lot. Uh, Richard, you're city A player of the season.
1: I'm not going to make it unanimous. Uh, I am going to go with Maro Icardi of Inter. Uh, his 29 goals were big goals. Um, last year, he had a, it was better overall performance where he had a lot of assists. Uh, I think he led the league in assists last year. or He was up there. This year, only one assist, but his 29 goals, it was proven that when he was out of the lineup, Inter struggled mightily. Um, when, it, when the month or so he was out, uh, Inter just fell on the table. They were, they, were, they were at the top for a long time, battling out with Napoli and Juventus, and then, and when he goes out the team struggles when he came back they finally resurged back and a lot has to do with Perisic. but all the goals that Perisic, that um, Icardi scored he had to score because Candreva wasn't scoring they freaked to have Edder on the team and he would play every now and then so he, you know he had to do more um, so for me Icardi the fact the fact or the effect he had in in those games or when he wasn't playing even uh, that's what that's what did it for me
2: and I as well am going with Mauro Icardi for Serie A sit-down player of the season. And Luis Alberto is an awfully close second uh, for me. It's it's basically 1-1-8, one and one eight, but I'm, I'm tipping it just with Inter finishing in the position ahead of Lazio for one thing. And then to exactly to your point, you took the words right out of my mouth, Richard. Look at how Inter struggled for goals without him. Um, and then that brief period of time, uh, you know, when he was back and getting his legs under him, there was still a little bit of a struggle. But once he kind of regained fitness and found his you know, you know, found his legs into we're back and they were back in the ascendancy. And, you know, to we're here on the last day, they, they grab uh, the last Champions League place um, and, uh, and, and join the Champions League. You cannot go wrong with either of these two players uh, for player of the season. Last season, we were unanimous with these Uh This season, we're a little split, uh, but, but no problem with either of the picks. So your manager and player of the series and go to at Seria sit down on Twitter or Instagram. Do we have those picks right or do we have them wrong? Uh, So in closing, um, Richard, give us the biggest memory you're going to take from this 2017-2018 season.
1: Oh, what a fantastic races we had all throughout! Not only at the top and in the middle of the table, and then especially the relegation battle. What we had at, at one point, you had as much as eight teams involved. Um, that's that's crazy. Now you know a lot of that attributed to bad teams, but um, the fact that we you know it, it glued you to the TV to find out who's going to get relegated, you know who's moving up, who's moving down every week. It was changing every goal. It was changing. So um, it just kept you tuned in all year long. And you know Napoli, yeah, give them credit. They they pushed Juventus to the end. Uh, it wasn't enough, but uh, they did it, and then also the you know the mid table with, heck, Lazio and Inter fighting for the last Champions League spot in the last game of the season. So um, great, great season all the way around, and it was, it was it was pretty close all the way around with all the teams and all the battles. But um, I don't know how they're going to do each other next year. Hopefully, uh, the teams that come in will do better than Benevento did this year.
2: That's excellent. And, and Blair, how about you? The biggest uh, the biggest memory you're going to take from this season?
0: Um, my. Sort of lasting memory will probably be the sight of Calabu the Bali towering in the Juventus penalty area in the last sort of seconds of a, a huge title deciding match,
1: yeah,
0: yeah. heading home a bullet header from a corner. Um, it was just a wonderful moment. I mean, I, I didn't I, I remember watching it and I'd been shouting at the television for about 20 minutes because I was just I was so frustrated that Napoli weren't able to break Juventus down again. And how do they do it? With a corner and a header. It's the least Napoli goal of all time. But um, I thought it was fitting that Koulibaly scored it. And you know it gave us a lot of hope. I think it gave Italian football a lot of optimism that you know we were finally going to get this, this big title race that, that we wanted, that Napoli could maybe, maybe just overtake Juventus and win their first title for 28 years. And uh, it didn't happen in the end, but uh, it gave us that optimism for a week and it was it was just a great header. So, yeah, the, the sight of Koulibaly... In the penalty area, about to head home that goal. That's the that's my
2: favorite memory of the season. Excellent, excellent. And my biggest memory, and I've already kind of touched on it here on a couple of occasions, but um, uh, you know the moments when uh, when life interrupted calcio. Uh, and Fiorentina's captain uh, Davide Astori passed away uh, unexpectedly and suddenly. Um, and uh, you know not just how uh, the city of Florence and 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 its people and the team. Held it that you know, uh, you know, coped with it and got their way through it, but how the rest of the league, uh, you know, gave their dedication to uh, to to, a, to to a man who, uh, you know, in the national team setup for sure. When you heard some of the stories from some of those players, uh, was was a consummate teammate, leader, and, and, and gentleman. And uh, I think that Fiorentina were fantastic in terms of carrying out his legacy, uh, and, and certainly the. Uh, when play resumed, um, you know, the tributes throughout the, uh, uh, the stadia throughout uh, Italy, um, you know, and, uh, uh, the effect that he had on everybody, uh, was, uh, was really special. And I think that's going to be a, you know, that's going to be a big memory that I'm going to take, uh, from this Serie A season. So, um, you know, all of these are great. It was a fantastic season. A lot of, uh, a lot of highlights, um, the introduction of VAR, uh, you know, Uh, for the most part, did its job. It's going to be here to stay. Uh, And, um, you know, looking forward to next season where I think it's going to be even better. Going to be hard to top this one, though, Uh, most definitely. And with that, we're going to put a bow uh, on this season uh, of Serie A sit-down. Let's uh, do a quick uh, social media check and shameless plug. And, Blair, uh, the floor is yours.
0: Yeah, so on Twitter, uh, you can find me over at the Blair Newman. Um, so this is my name with V in front of it because I'm uh, I'm incredibly self-important. So yeah, you can you can find me on there through that link.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we all think we're, we're we all think we're self-important. So. <laughs> oh, but that's awesome! That's awesome. Any uh, any pieces you're working on that uh, that people can look forward to, or is it uh, seasons over? Time to take a breather.
0: No, no breathers. Uh, not yet. Um, I've got a few pieces coming up on the World Cup, um, so it should be it should be a few things for a few different sites coming out. Um, so just stay tuned on my Twitter for them. And then this week I've got a piece on Brendan Rodgers and what he's done at Celtic with with uh, some of the players he's developed. So not Italian football related, but maybe uh, if you're interested in football generally, you can you can follow that and uh, and enjoy.
2: Or as as Richard would say, if you don't like Serie A, you can read this. So. <laughs> <laughs> No. That was all the way back at the beginning of the season. Um, <laughs> all right, Richard, how about you?
1: <laughs> well, if you don't like Syria, no, I'm just kidding. Um, I'm going to take uh, be taking a much-needed break. Uh, i got a big summer ahead with my family, so uh, looking forward to that. I'm, I'm also going to get back to writing as well. I'll have some time for that now that podcasts are winding down. Um, you can, as always, find me at r-k-h-a-r-m-a-n on Twitter.
2: Excellent. I'm at FTC underscore 21 uh, on Twitter. Um, I will be uh, recording with Tyler Dunn on the Banter FC podcast, which we'll be recording later this week and uh, should probably be out next weekend. Uh, just uh, maybe giving a more condensed recap of Syria than what we gave here. Um, and then also uh, my last Calcio consultant piece for the season will actually be a world cup prediction an unbiased one, seeing that Italy's not in it, unfortunately. So, uh, but we will be on a three-month break and back sometime in August to preview the 2018-2019 Serie A season, at which point we'll know who the 20th team will be after the playoff. And uh, we'll certainly look forward to uh, uh, bringing you all of our uh, news and opinion and insight then. Uh, but un- until then, I uh, want to thank you all for your loyalty and for listening to the Serie A sit-down. It means a lot to us Um Uh, and uh, we certainly look forward to uh, reconnecting with you all in August. In the meantime, have a nice summer. Find somebody to live vicariously through in the World Cup. I know it's going to stink, but uh, (laughs) do the best you can. Uh, But until August, thank you for listening. Tell your paisans about us. Ciao.